theyeshiva.net. Okay, we learned uh, a few weeks ago what was it, Parshas Vayetze. We learned a few pieces of Svasamis and Parshas Vayetze, Yaakov going into Golos because of Ace, his relationship with Esav, and other very powerful pieces, the stone by the well in Choron. So I chose yesterday a few pieces of the Svasemes on Hanukkah. There's many, many, because uh, each night of Hanukkah he would say something, or most nights, so there's really quite uh, a lot to choose from. But I just chose a few pieces. I want to cover them pretty fast, swiftly, because I want to get through some ground. I want to cover some ground. I do have to say that the Svasemes is known to be very, very concise, very brief, very bekitzer, and very cryptic. It's difficult to understand. It's not easy to decipher his words. One needs a lot, a lot of background and a lot of uh, understanding of the basic premises and ideas of Teres HaBal Shem Tev, of Chesidus, in order to understand the words of the Svasemis. But uh, I chose a few ideas that I think are powerful, potent, contemporary, relevant, and uh, penetrating. I always like to give a little history. Svas Emes was the second Rebbe of Ger. His Zayde, his grandfather, is the founder of Ger Chassidus, the Chidush Harim. Rebbe Itcha Meir, Rebbe Yitzchak Meir Alter, who was a student of the Kotzke Rebbe, and became the first Ger Rebbe in a city called Gur, Ger, Gur, which is not far from Warsaw. The Chidush Harim was born in 1799. He passed away in 1866, Tafresh Chavav, Chav Gimel Adar. Unfortunately, most of his children passed away during his lifetime, many of them. There were many of them. And his grandson took him over, succeeded him, the Sfasemis. Sfasemis was Rabbi Yehuda Arya Leib Alter, who was born in 1847. He took over his grandfather. He was very young at the time. His grandfather passed away in 1866. He wasn't even 20 years old. And uh, he was just 20, just turning 20. And he... Uh, succeeded him as the second Rebbe of Ger, known as the Svasemes, and he passed away in 1905. He was succeeded by his son, Rebbe Avram Mardachai, known as the Imrei Emes. You have the Chidushi Harim, Rebbe Chemeir, Svasemes, Rebbe Yehudai Leib, and he succeeded by the Imrei Emes, Rebbe Avram Mardachai of Ger. Actually, Rebbe Avram Mardachai was the father of the Svasemes, passed away young, so Imri Emes was Rabbi Avraham Mardachai, who took over his father, the Svasemes, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, Rabbi Yehuda Leib. Imri Emes passed away in 1948 in Yerushalayim, where he's buried, and he was succeeded by his son, known as the Beis Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael Alter, Rabbi Yisrael Alter of Ger, who passed away in 1977. Beis Yisrael was succeeded by his brother. He had no children killed in the Holocaust, and from his second marriage he didn't have children. He was succeeded by his brother, known as the Leiv Simcha, Reb Simcha Binim. When he passed away, I think it was 1992, 1992, he was succeeded by his brother, Reb Pinchas Menachem. These are all brothers who took over each other. Beis Yisrael took over his father, and then his father took over the brother, and then his father took over the brother. And... Uh, and the Pnei Menachem, he was not, he passed away young, a few years later, I think 96, after Purim, and he was succeeded by the, by the son of the Leif Simcha, Rabbi Yankala, Rabbi Yaakov Alter, who's the present Gerereb. This is a very uh, brief history, so just you have a little context of this Hasidic tradition. Now, this Fasembes became a, uh, Sfas Emes became a classic work, is a classic work. So I took from Hanukkah a few pieces. Tofresh Lamedalad, Leil Beis. Tofresh Lamedalad would be, uh, would be 1874. Uh, the beginning of 1874, maybe the end of 1873. Depends when the new year fell out then. Could be 1873, it could be 1874. So the Swasemis says as follows. These are short, short pieces, as I said, but each one contains a lot. 
brought in the name of the Kajnitz Amagat, Rabbi Stroll of Kajnitz, who was one of the famous students, one of the greatest students of Rabbi Elimelech of Lezhensk, the Rabbi Elimelech, the Kajnitz Amagat, still I think by the Mezritz Amagat, and he has a sefer called Ne'er Yisrael. So he brought in the name of the Kajnitz Amagat, Mashmadlikin Ata Bifnim. It's an interesting thing in history. The mitzvah of Hanukkah was to light the menorah outdoors, not inside. The Gemara says clearly in Mesech Shabbos, Taner Ner Hanukkah Mitzvah Lo Nichal Pesach Beisim Abachutz. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is to place the menorah outdoors, not indoors. If you're a Ben Aliyah, if you're living upstairs and you don't have access to the outdoors, you simply don't have access. You, you, you just use the staircase, you go upstairs. So then you can put it on the window. Over history, however, it changed. For whatever reason it was. And it's not like there's no, it doesn't get cold in Israel. It can get cold in Eretz Israel. It's not like the winter is hot. It's not hot all year. It can get cold. But the mitzvah of Hanukkah was to put it outside. At some point it changed. So some people say it changed because of, it's brought in the Mepharshim, it's brought anti-Semitism. It became dangerous. To light candles outside, light a candle outside, can create hatred, can create suspicion, can bring attacks or non-slot, can create persecution, sometimes it was forbidden. There were different, there were different reasons. Sometimes, especially in the east, the very cold weather, there's no chance your flames will, uh, will survive. <laughs> you light them, they'll be extinguished if they'll even be lit. I mean, even though you can build, you can build a concoction. But yet we see that even today, even today, and even in places where it was not always dangerous to light the menorah outside. In reality, most Jews, not all, there are Jews who light the menorah uh, outside. In Eretz Yisrael, you'll find them. And even here in Muncie, somebody sent me a picture that he managed to create this whole, uh, <laughs> this whole Misa, and he lit the menorah outside by his driveway, going out to the street, at the edge of his driveway, going out to the street. Okay. The fact is that Shloimei Amuni Yisrael, most Jews, they light the menorah inside, whether it's by the window, as the minig by many, or by a door, sometimes the closest door to the outside, or by the kitchen, but it's not outside. That's really a change, and it's really a change. It's a change that happened. Uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, of course, famously, brought back the spirit of lighting the menorah outside by suggesting to put up the public menorahs wherever there is, are large audiences, Pursume Nissa, which was really based on the fact that the Hanukkah Menorah's objective was to illuminate the outside, even though it's not exactly the same thing, putting up a Menorah in a mall, a large Menorah, or in a park, or in some shopping center, or the center of the city, or the subway, or the plaza. It's not exactly the same like lighting it in your house, but the point was to create the consciousness and the warmth and the message of Hanukkah in the broader arena and in fact, the impact was extremely, and is extremely, extremely powerful. I think beyond what a lot of people recognize, consciously and unconsciously, for non-Jews and for Jews. For Jews and for non-Jews. Here this Koshnitz HaMagit focuses on the inner dynamic. Why is it Taka? That the Rebbe Nishlam, the Hashgachim, made that Hanukkah should go through this transformation. So he says, The reason we now light inside is, In exile, remember, Hanukkah happened not in exile, it happened in the Beis HaMikdash, in Yerushalayim. And for more than 200 years, the Jewish people were living independently in Eretz Yisrael with the Beis HaMikdash. It was not easy. The second Beis HaMikdash was not easy. The Cheshmanayim ended up destroying each other. Not that generation, a few generations later, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, and then Rome came in. It was difficult, but the Jews were still in their country. They had some independence for more than 200 years. It wasn't always used well. They had a Beis HaMikdash. But afterwards, they go into Galus. So he says, We consider ourselves extremely humble in Galus. And we realize that the chutz, the outside, doesn't begin outside. It begins on the inside. You have to light Hanukkah Pesach Beis and we realize that I could be in my house, but I am completely on the outside. And therefore, 
I must light the menorah inside my house, because that's where the chutz is, that's where the outside is. And therefore you actually fulfill the mitzvah of lighting the candle at the door of your home outside. What is this Fasemah teaching us here? Fasemah says that the chutz, changing the world outside, begins always with changing myself. It's recognizing that I may be physically on the inside, but emotionally, I'm completely on the outside. I'm alienated. I'm detached. I'm disconnected. I don't identify. I'm not one with my core. I'm not one with, with the divine core, with the divine soul. There's a fragmentation. There's an alienation. So I have to light up the menorah at the door of my home outside. And where is that? That's right here inside. And this is the principle. To ask Hashem, That through lighting the menorah, we should be able to expel, to quarantine the toxic thoughts, to separate from our own externalities, from our own superficiality. In other words, I want that the menorah should help me light up my inner soul, my inner heart. I should be able to get rid of all of the thoughts of trauma, of negativity, of self-loathing, of darkness, of confusion, of uncertainty, of embarrassment, of shame. That's, that's, that's my chutz. My chutz, my outside doesn't begin outside. It begins right here. My inside is also my outside. The Balatanya writes, it reminds me of Balatanya writes in Parshas Tazria, and look at the title, we learned it together. And really the basis of the idea, I think you already have in the Alshech. Why is it that today we don't have the Metzairah? The Metzairah of Torah, the leper of Torah, we don't have today, those symptoms. And he says that the Pasuk begins, Adam ki yinegeber You have to be an Adam. An Adam is a euphemism. It's, it's, an, it's, it's Adam hashalom. It expresses these four terms that Tanakh uses for a person. Adam ish gever enosh. And Adam is considered the most... Uh, Developed one, the most wholesome one. Nasa Odom Bitsalmenu Kid Musenu. We say about Rajbi, Nasa Odom Nemar Bavurech. The words Nasa Odom were said for you. And the Mitzur is called Odom. Odom ki Negabar Sada. So the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya writes, Kaval de Kavart. Thank you. He says that in the time of the Besamikdash, the Pnimius was worked out, it was developed. So when there was Ra, when there was negativity, it was spit out. <laughs> It was spit out on the chitzonius, on the skin. That's tzaras. So in other words, the mitzvah came only by an adam. Somebody who was really a worked out person. So the, the toxicity was spit out to the superficial epidermis, to the oil, to the skin of the person. Just today, it doesn't, we don't have a mitzvah, not because the person is, is, is so holy. It's because it has a place inside. I don't have to spit it out. So he says, al pesach beisim the Alshuk says, Min bimine, ain't it doesn't, it doesn't spit out. The Pesach Beisim Machutz, he says, begins on the inside. The inside is also Chutz. So therefore, what do I have to spit it out for? I don't have to spit it out. That's a very, very powerful word because we're seeing today, just, we're seeing today a lot of this, right? We're seeing a lot of things come out today that didn't, didn't come out for many generations. And people are wondering, what happened? What happened? And it may be, I said this a few times, it may be a symptom of gula. You have to spit everything out because the pneumius is trying to heal. And therefore it's not letting dysfunction remain rooted inside. It's coming out. A person has to believe the chachamim who relied so much on this miracle of Hanukkah and turned it into a holiday for eternity for generations. In other words, a person might say, what does lighting a menorah have to do with my thoughts? <laughs> What's the connection? So he says, I want you to trust Hanukkah. I want you to realize that there's a power on Hanukkah, that you can really transform yourself. You can go into a deeper place. You can light up your own, your own pnimius, which is chutz, which is chutz. 
Now, there's also something comforting about this. You know, sometimes you look at yourself, you look in the mirror, and you're wearing all the holy garments, maybe all the Hasidic garments. You may be wearing a spodek, as they do in Ger, or a streimel, as they do by other Hasidim. Or you may be wearing a Barcelino hat, or you may be wearing a kippah, sruga, or a different type of kippah, this yarmulke, that yarmulke, the four, whatever it is you're wearing. You're wearing Greisadat, Greisatalus cotton, Volinitzitzes with a beautiful Bekisha, a fine kapota, a gaitel, whatever it is. So that's on the outside. So the outside looks pnim, but the inside is chutz. You understand that paradox? The outside is inside, but the inside is outside. On the outside, I fit in, I'm integrated, I'm inspired, I could be screaming, Oh no, Hashem, Aishi, oh no. But on the inside, the Swasama says, I'm full of ego and insecurity and fear and toxicity and trauma and anger and resentment. Dishonesty. No wholesomeness. So here's the tragedy. What's on the outside is on the inside and what's on the inside is on the outside. The sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe who passed away in 1950 and he said, ah, he said, what chinuch is? He was a little kid. They lived in Lubavitch, which is a little town in Belarus. Lubavitch. That's where the, the name Lubavitch comes from. It's a city in, in Belarus, white Russia, near Lithuania. He said, I'm a little kid, and I'm looking outside. And he had a malamed, a teacher. A teacher came over to him, put his hand on his shoulder, and said... Better to stand outside and look inside than to stand inside and look outside. What did he mean? He was describing to him life that sometimes a person is on the outside but his eyes, sometimes a person is on the inside but his eyes are outside. Sometimes a person is on the outside but his she'ifa, his eyes are on the inside. So he said, the borders are not so clear. Sometimes you see somebody inside, but they're on the outside. Al Pesach Beisim Abachutz. Sometimes somebody is on the outside, but they're on the inside. Because B'makam Shemach Shafter Shaladam says the Baal Shem Hu Nimtza. So Chanukah is the ability to go into the chutz inside of you, to the part of you that feels outside, alienated, detached, disconnected, fragmented, separated, and to be able to not to get upset. What do you do? You don't scream at it. You light a candle. He says, you have to ask Hashem to help you expel these thoughts. How? You light the menorah. You light a candle. How do you, how do you, how do you go outside of this chutz? You don't scream. You get, get out of my system. You have to light a candle. You have to light a candle of truth, a candle of compassion. We speak always about midos arachamim. A candle of compassion and a candle of clarity. And then automatically you see, this is not really me. This is chutz. This is my trauma speaking. It's not me. Piece number one. Next piece. Tafresh Mem Beis, Tafresh Mem Gimel. This would be 1882, 1883. From my teacher of blessed memory, probably he means the Hazayda, the Chidush Harim. Al Mitzvah's Ner Chanukah Why is it that the Chachamim instituted that Ner Chanukah should be lit on the outside of the house? We don't have such a mitzvah in other cases. Do we put our matzah in the window? Do we put your lula, do you put your lulav and esrog in the window? Do we read the Megillah outside? There's a mitzvah of pursuing this in shul. You read the Megillah together to publicize the miracle. But nobody goes to read the Megillah outside. I know Corona was different. Nobody eats matzah outdoors. Let's take the matzah outdoors to be, to publicize the miracle. There's no mitzvah like that. Every mitzvah you do in your house, you do it indoors, you do it in shul. Blow shoifer out. Okay, shoifer is not a nest. But you can do everything. We eat, we eat in a sukkah, which is outdoors, of course, but it's within the sukkah. The only exception is Hanukkah. There's a mitzvah to light the menorah outside. Or even by the window. People should see. They have to see it outside. Why? Why here? You say, because it was a big miracle. Purim was also a big miracle. And Pesach was also a very big miracle. And Shulis was a big miracle. And Sukkot was a big miracle. But nonetheless, the mitzvahs are focused indoors. Again, in the home or in the shul. Not Hanukkah. Listen to the answer. 
He says, since the Greeks had the tremendous chutzpah to breach the Beis HaMikdash and to break into the walls and to contaminate the oil in the Hechel, and they wanted to transform the Rishus HaYachid into Rishus HaRabim, take the private domain and turn it into a public domain. So therefore, what was the response of the Jewish people? What was the nekama? What was the answer that Hashem did? He allowed for the revelation of Kedusha, even in Rishus HaRabim, that the Rishus HaRabim should become a Rishus HaYachid. They wanted to make from Rishus HaYachid into Rishus They wanted to make from Rishus HaYachid Rishus HaRabim. So what's the answer of Hanukkah? The answer of Hanukkah is to make from Rishus HaRabim Rishus HaYachid, the exact opposite response. Therefore, you light the Menorah outside. The light of Hanukkah has to go into the Rishus HaRabim, into the public domain. What is the Svasema saying here? Quoting the Chidusha Harim. He's saying here something that's very brief and very profound. You see, the time, I'll, I'll explain it very briefly, but it's very deep. In the time of the first Beis Hamikdash, the main Yetzahara was Avaydazara. People were drawn to idolatry. The Gemara in Yumid of Samachtes, we can't even understand how deep the inclination for idolatry was. After the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the Gemara says in Yuma, the Anche Knesset Sagdaila were mavatal, they obliterated the Yitzhahar of Avedazara. We don't even understand it. It would be like explaining a five-year-old kid or a four-year-old kid to be obsessed with money. It's not, uh, we don't get it. Like, at a certain age, we understand it. He wouldn't understand it. We don't understand the Yitzhahar of Avedazara. But, it's in the second Beis HaMikdash, the Yavanim come into the Jewish people's culture. And what does Hellenism say? Hellenism really says there's no such a thing as holiness. Everything is profane. Everything is myth. Everything must be defined by the mind and the logic of the human being. If science can't prove it and you can't see it clearly with your eyes, then it doesn't exist. They deny that there's something called transcendence, there's something called holy, there's something called divine. There's nothing above me. Even a god is created in my image. They had many gods, but they're all created in my image. Can signs distinguish between kosher food and non-kosher food? Between Shabbos and Sunday? Between a married woman or a non-married woman? A married man or a non-married man? What's, can signs distinguish between a behavior that's holy and behavior that's not holy? Between a place that's holy and a place that's not holy? An object that's holy and I'm done? It can't distinguish. So it doesn't exist. It's all your hallucination, your imagination. What do they do? They break in the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. The Gemara says, Pirtsu Pratzis, we say it in the Zmiris of, Haneris, of, of Hanukkah, right? They breach through the Beis HaMikdash. And betimu kol hashmanam what? They don't destroy the Beis HaMikdash. They don't care if there's a Beis HaMikdash. They just say the Beis HaMikdash is a museum. It's a beautiful museum. It's a national, it's a national museum. It's a national place where people come together and they have ritual and culture. No problem. We have our places. We have our gymnasiums. We have our theaters. We have Mount Olympus. We have our places. You have your space. No problem. You want to light them and then to light them and then, but it should be Tomeh. You remember we learned in the Maimir, Valanism, Tavshin Choftes, Lashkicham Tayra You could light them and then, but don't call it holy. Be admitted to be with Tumah. Tumah means, you shouldn't sense the godliness, the kedusha of it, the transcendence of it. There's no kedusha. Kedusha is hallucination. What you call holy is really profane. Everything is profane. Everything is random. Everything is a coincidence. Everything is a mistake. Everything just goes. It's no, there's, no, there's no meaning to it. There's no godliness in it. You could light up at night. I don't care. Do whatever you want. We said you could do mishpatim. You could do edus. You could learn tayri. You could learn chukim. I don't care if you learn. Why can't university have a branch for Jewish culture and Jewish myth? We have a big university in Greece or Macedonia, and we'll have there a special branch for Judaic myth. No problem. <laughs> we study anthropology. We study every culture. We'll study also Jewish Bishagasin. What's the big deal? No problem. You have interesting stories? Wonderful. Put them in also. You light a candelabra? Fine. You light a candelabra? Seven. Whatever you do in the morning, in the evening, you burn incense? Beautiful. But where's the Kedusha in it? Timo Kalashvanam Shabbat. 
What did they say? There's no such a thing as Rishus Hayachet. Everything is a Rishus Harabah. Everything is the public domain. There's no oneness. There's no singularity. There's no core. So says this Fasemis, what do we do on Hanukkah? What do we do on Hanukkah? We don't light the Menayat in our house. That's not Hanukkah. What was the revenge of the Jews? The revenge of the Jews was, listen to this. They said that what looks like Kedusha is not really Kedusha, it's Choyl. It's profane. You know what the Jews say on Hanukkah? You say there's no Kedusha and we say there's no Choyl. What really looks like Choyl is not Choyl. What really looks like profanity and mundaneness is not really profane and mundane, it's also holy. What looks like the public domain, Rishusarabim, is also Kedusha. It's just the way Kedusha is expressed in Chayl. I once told you a word I heard from the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, Bayidin is Mesech Techulin Oich Adin in Kotchem. In Seder Kotchem, there's also Mesech Techulin. Chulin is the mundane. Bayidin is Mesech Techulin Oich Adin in Kotchem. Chulin is also part of Kotchem. It's not like there's a real division. Everything, ain't oid mulvade. Hanukkah says, ain't oid mulvade. They said what? There's no real kedusha. What looks like kedusha is really choil. It's really tum. It's nothing. And that's where you can be metame everything. There's nothing holy. There's nothing sacred. There's nothing that you really can fight for at your core. There's no core. Everything is mundane and profane. So what do the Jews say on Hanukkah? There's nothing really mundane. There's nothing really profane. Everything is part of infinity. Everything is part of holiness. Everything is part of oneness. Everything is part of love. Everything is part of love. So you light menorah in your house. Al Pesach Baisim and Bachutz. Hanukkah shows that there's no chutz. They said there's no pnim. There's no pnim. There's no inside and outside. It's all one mishmash of the human imagination. There's no demarcation between the Bishamikdush and outside the Bishamikdush. It's Kodesh HaKadoshim, Kedusha, God, Ashul, Asifatayra, Holy Day, Ashabbos, Vazvuvet. And look, they fought against three things. Shabbos, Chazal say they tried to obliterate three minutes. Shabbos, Mila, and Rishchidosh. What is that? All these three things represent the demarcations. Because Shabbos means that there's a sacred day that's different than Friday and Sunday and Monday. It's not the same. It's a holy day. It's a day infused with transcendence and holiness. Miller says the same thing about the body, the human body. The human body is sacred. The human body is in a covenant with God. The guf is a transcendent vehicle. It's a vehicle for transcendence, not just a physical shmata, just made to collect the good. The guf is sensitive. The guf has a life. There's a spirituality in the body. That's what the Bris Miller represents. And even by women, the Gemara says, Isha command A woman, Allah is considered as though she has a bris. And Rishchidosh also, we will soon see, Rishchidosh represents that the cycles of nature are invested with holiness. Not just a new month, an old month, the moon, the moon, the moon orbit, the, the lunar orbit, the solar orbit. It's just, you know, the Yavan Begamatria Galgal, right? That's what someone says, Yavan Begamatria Galgal. Yavan is 66. And Galgal is 66, 33 twice. Galgal. The Galgal is the Galgal, you know, the, the circle of life. The Gan the Galgalim are called the sphere the spheres, the spherical planets. You know, the Galgalim just Sagate, Sagate. It's just part of part of the movement of nature. It's random, you know, you go where you were and you continue to go. There's no uh, progress in history because it's not controlled by any uh, force of, of love and intelligence and, and and deep deep connection. So that's the Galgal, but Rishchidosh invests even those cycles of nature with purpose, with meaning, with holiness. Those three mitzvahs, they want to obliterate. That's why we say in Valanism, Nakamta Esnik Mosam. You took revenge from them. How do, how, how, how do you take revenge? Nakamta Esnik Mosam. We say in Alhanism, you gave the strong in the hands of the weak, the many in the hands of the few, and the tmeim biyatahirim. What does this mean? So literally it sounds like you gave over the Greek army to the Jews. The Jews defeated them. He said it's much deeper. Tmeim biyatahirim means you took the tmeim and you put them in the yatahirim. You showed that even tuma really has an akud of tar in it. The Tmeim went in biyatahirim. 
There's no clear demarcation in the world. This is Rishus Hayachid, this is Rishus Harabim, this is God, this is humanity, and there's a division between them. Really, everything has a Nakud of Tara. Even challenges, even impurity, even Tumma, even the darkness, even the Rishus Harabim, even the Choyl is part of Kachim. It has an Avoida. It's also purposeful, it's also meaningful. Sometimes the Avoida is Surmeira, sometimes the Avoida is Asetev, sometimes the Avoida is to embrace something, sometimes the Avoida is to say no, but there's also an Avoida there. It's not just a mistake that it ended up in your life. Even the Tumma in your life, belongs to the Tara in your life. Tmeim is also biyat tahoidim. Even Tumah is a chilek of Tara. It's part of your process. It's part of cleansing. Like the Gemara says, ultimately through tshuva, even the sin becomes a mitzvah. Yumadav pevav. V'chein tachlis kol hamalchius lohitzi bilam mitoich piyam. K'mayshe kosov eis ashashalat ha'adam ba'adam l'raloi la'adam b'liyal k'mayshe kosov b'zayar ha'kadosh. It's impossible to understand what he's saying if you didn't learn the Maimarim of the Arizal and the Balatanya about this. The purpose of all the Malchis, the purpose of all the kingdoms, of all the exiles is for the Jewish people to take out the Bilam, that which is swallowed up from their mouths, to take out all the Nitzutzis of Kedusha. Pasuk says in Kaihelis, when man rules man for his own detriments, he says it's when the Adam Blial, the Adam of Klipper, rules the Adam of Kedusha, but ultimately the reason he's ruling you is not because he's ruling you, it's because you have an opportunity for growth to be able to find the godly message. When you're experiencing trauma and depression or difficulties, that's called the Adam, is ruling the Adam, it's not in order to rule you, it's to give you an opportunity to be able to reveal what's in it, there's something here, all anxiety is an alarm clock. It's an alarm clock to wake you up to what you have to work on. The Beis HaMikdash is a place for the Jewish people to experience their relationship with Hashem. They breach through the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. And they want to rule over that which doesn't have a relationship with them. They want to infiltrate and show there's nothing holy, there's nothing divine. So what does Hashem do on Hanukkah? He does the exact opposite. A light from the Beis HaMikdash goes into the outside. It goes into the territory outside of the Beis HaMikdash, where the Yavanim live, where Sitra Achira lives, to break through the walls of iron that separate in our minds that separate us from God, just like they break in the Chayma to infiltrate into Kedusha, what happens on Hanukkah, the exact opposite. Kedusha breaks through the Chayma of Klippa, of Sitrach, breaks through the walls of the Shusharabim, so to speak, the emotional walls, that there shouldn't be anything separating between you and your Father in Heaven. You should be able to experience oneness. Tafresh Lamed Vav. Tafresh Lamed Vav would be 17, 7, 18, 76. Leil Zayin Rish Tevis, the eighth night of Hanukkah. Issa, our sages say, Kya Yavanim Bikshul Avatal Gimel Mitzvah, Chaydish, Shabbos, Umila. The Yavanim wanted to obliterate three mitzvahs, Rish Chaydish, Shabbos, and circumcision. Vakasha, Mayin Chaydish, Bikshul Avatal Yosim Akola Mitzvah. What do they have against Rish Chaydish? What did Rish Chaydish bother them? I understand Shabbos. Shabbos is the weekly practice of Jews resting, serving God. I get it. It's a weekly thing. It's so much part of Jewish life. You get rid of Shabbos, you get rid of Judaism, right? We know that. Bris Mil, I understand. The Greeks were very against circumcision because you don't touch the body. The body, the, 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 the body of an athlete for them. The athlete was the, the crown glory of creation. They worshipped the body. They would even walk around, you know, without clothes. And there were Jews who covered over their bris because it was an embarrassment. Moshe Charlosai. It was an embarrassing thing. You know, this idea of the covenant of Ramavin, or God, no bris. But Rosh What's Rosh The first day of the month. No, there's a new moon. No, forbidden. Why? What do they care about Rosh from all the 650 mitzvahs? And what did they do? What do you tell Jews? Don't celebrate Rosh What do we do on Rosh it's not like you're not allowed to cook on Rish Chaydish. You cook on Rish Chaydish. What do we do on Rish Chaydish? In the time of the Beis they brought a carbon musaf. Okay, so that was their obsession not to bring. That the punkt, all the sacrifices they're fine with. The carbon musaf of Rish Chaydish, this they have to nullify. Something is, what's bothering them about Rish Chaydish? You hear the question of Mendel? It's a good question, yeah? But what's happens with Shchaydish? And what, what, what they do? What happens under Shchaydish that they nullified? What are we now allowed? The carbon Musaf? Carbon Musaf is not brought by all Jews. It's brought by a few Jews, by the Kayanim. And, and that, that they can't do and everything else, all the other carbonas they could.
So listen to what he says. What bothered them was Kiddush HaChadosh. You learn together, we learn together Masech Hashanah, remember, we remember that before the calendar was created, which was much later in Jewish history, how did you establish Rish Chodesh? Two, two witnesses would come that they saw the moon last night, and Bezdin would sanctify the new month, Rish Chodesh, when they saw the new tiny sliver of, 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 of the, the two, new tiny sliver of the moon that appeared. And this creates the new month. We say in the, the Gemara says in Beits and Brachas, we say in the Kiddush of Yom Tov, Mekadosh Yisrael v'hazmanim. In Shabbos, we say Mekadosh HaShabbos. Why the difference? Why don't we say Shabbos, Mekadosh HaShabbos v'Yisrael, Mekadosh Yisrael v'Hashabbos. You ever thought about it? And by Yom Tov, we say Mekadosh Yisrael v'hazmanim. So the Gemara says as follows, Shabbos Mekadosh v'kaimah. The holiness of Shabbos is on its own. Seventh day comes, it's a holy day. Yom Tov, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, Chanukah, Purim, all the Yom Tovim, Pesach Sheini, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. This is not automatic. Yisrael the Kachinol is manam. It's the Jewish people who sanctify it. Because if Bezdin decides Rosh Chodesh is Sunday, Pesach is going to be a day earlier. If Bezdin says Rosh Chodesh is Monday, Pesach is going to be a day later. That's very different. That means I'm eating chametz today. Is it chametz on Isser Karis or not? Depends if it's a holy day of Pesach. Is it Yom Kippur? Am I allowed to eat today or not? Depends. If Rosh Hashanah, if Rosh Chodesh was a day earlier, then Yom Kippur is a day earlier. But Rosh Chodesh can be pushed off a day later. Let's say there's no witnesses, or let's say the witnesses are investigated and we see that they don't know what they're talking about, they're inaccurate. Let's say witnesses, it was a, it was, it was a, a, a cloudy night, they couldn't see the moon. Because remember, Rosh Chodesh can either be on the 30th day or the 31st day. If the witnesses say that they saw the moon on night of 30 Mitzayich of Tes, the night after 29, then Rish Chodesh is the next day, which is 30. But if they didn't see it until the 31st, the night after 30, the evening after 30, then you can't make Rish Chodesh day 30, Rish Chodesh becomes the next day, 31. So this is a huge difference, because when is Rish Hashanah going to be, when is Yom Kippur going to be, when is Pesach going to be, when is Shavu, when is Sukkah going to be? Yisrael the Kachinul That's why we say in the Kiddush of Yom Tov, Mekadesh Yisrael v'hazmanah. How is their Yom Tif? Because Mekadosh Yisrael, he sanctifies Yisrael. Yisrael are holy, and they make the Zmanam holy. Shabbos, there's no Mekadosh Yisrael. It's Mekadosh HaShabbos. Mekadosh HaVakayim. The Gemara discusses this in Brachas and Beitzah. Says the Svasemes, this is what bothered them. Kiddush HaChodesh, it wasn't the Korban Musaf. It's the very concept that the Jew has the ability to be Mekadosh Zman. To confer holiness upon a slice of time. To designate a unit of time and create a chalois of kidusha on this man. This is what the Gemara says that the Yavanim said to the Jews. It's a medrash a few times and we learned it in the Maim of Alanism that we learned last week. Write on the horn of the ox that you don't have a chelik belike You don't have a part in the God of Israel. Well, one second. This doesn't make sense. You say, it's like, tell, it's like, it's like I ask you to write, say, I don't have a part yeah, in my family. I don't have a part. I'm not connected to my father and my mother. Well, one second. If he's your father and she's your mother, you're connected. <laughs> you could say, I'm not going to take the inheritance. I'm not going to come to their house. You don't have a chalik. First you have a chalik. You're part of it. First you call him a lekei Yisrael. You say he's the God of Yisrael. So, and you're Yisrael. No, I don't have a chalik belekei Yisrael. What's the meaning? They could say, go away from the Jewish people. Convert. Become a Hellenist. Make believe you're not a Jew. The expression, Ein lachem chelik belekei Yisrael. You're calling them a lekei Yisrael. He says, Maman of Shech. You're calling him a lekei Yisrael. <laughs> yeah. And the question is even deeper. You're calling him the God of Israel. So he's a God of Israel. But Ein lachem chelik belekei Yisrael. We don't have a part in it. He says, what does this mean? I don't have a part in it. I'm a Yisrael. Yeah, I come from here. I do have a part in it. No, write that you don't have a part in a lekei Yisrael. So you mean he's, he's, he's not really Eleke Yisrael? So the way we understand it usually is that they're saying that Eleke Yisrael is a delusion. In other words, it's a mythical God, Khalila. 
the Jews created some mythical God. You don't want part in this joke. I'm not part of this, of this joke. Kavayachal. But he says, let's think about the words. Kisvu lechem al kanan ha'shon she'ein lechem chelik takein elekei Yisrael. So the Sfasema says, listen to this. The meaning is actually very profound. What they're saying is, is they wanted to obliterate this emunah from the Jewish people, not just that they exist, not only that they have a God, but that they have a chelik belekeisra. What do they have a chelik? They have a part in elekeisra. A part. I'm part of elekeisra. Kevayochel, I am mashpi on elekeisra. Not only do I receive, I have a chelik in it. When you say you have a part of the business, yeah, kevayochel, you have a part of the company. You have shears. What's mean you have shears? You have shears means you have ownership. You're not just a passive recipient of God. You have a chalik in it. You're mashpia. You're a yoytzi. You're a creator. You're not a victim. You're a creator of life. You're a creator of kedusha. That's what Rishchidosh is. Rishchidosh means you create the qualities of time. You generate holiness. You're not a victim in the world. You are a co Partner with God in the work of creation. The Gemara says in Shabbos, when you celebrate Shabbos, you become a Shutaf. It's the same idea. Shabbos, Mila, Rishchidosh. Mila is a Chris's Bris, it's a covenant, which means you're partners, you're one. Shabbos is Shutaf, and now he says Rishchidosh. What's Rishchidosh? means you create the holiness, not God. It's not that you have a God. You have a Chelek in Elikus. You're part of Elikus. You're a Chelek Elikamimal Mamish, like it says in Tanya. Chelek Elikamimal. You're a Chelek of it. In other words, if we could use these words, you create something in Elikai Yisrael. You have a portion. You contribute to Elikai Yisrael. That's what Rishchidosh is. You create a new reality of a lakus. You create a new reality of Kedusha in the world. And this is a perspective on life. It's a perspective on life. It's not, you're not just a random victim in this life. No. You drive history. You drive the world. You create holiness in the world. Like he says, Your actions trigger heaven. They arouse heaven. They make a difference in reality. This they want to completely take away. What was the response? Hashem said, take Chanukah. Chanukah is like Chaydish. What does Chaydish mean? Chaydish means Chidush, new. There's a new moon. What's Chanukah? Chanukah comes from the word Chinuch. Chanukah Sabayis. Chanukah Samikdash. When you dedicate a new home, you create a Chanukah. Like Chinuch is bringing in a new child from his or her youth. Chinuch is initiation. Initiation. So Hashem gives the Jews a new, a new Chaydash. A Chanukah. And really it's deeper than Rishchidosh. Why? Because Rishchidosh is a time of renewal. It's an astronomical fact that the moon goes through and go, the moon travels over 29 and a half days. Yeah. 29 days and 12 hours and Tovshin Sada Gimel Chalakim, 793 parts. And the moon finishes its orbit. And it's now aligned with the sun and the earth, and therefore you can't see it. This is called the birth of the new moon, because the half of the moon that we see is facing the sun. And then the moon continues its orbit, and then it reappears. And a new month began. And Rishchidosh, the moilad, the moment of birth is when the moon is concealed. So that's a fact. It's an astronomical fact. The Chiddush of Rishchidosh is that the Jews decide when Rishchidosh is. MS. They decide that the new month could be a day before, the new month could be a day later. The Chiddush by Hanukkah is, it's the end of the month. It's a time of darkness. The only holiday that's in the second half of the month. You know this, yeah? This, the Rebbe spoke about Shabbos Vayishlach Tavshinon Beis, one of the last Sikhs. Pesach is Tesvav, the moon is complete. Shvuas is Vav, the moon is growing. Sukkot Tesvav, Rosh Hashanah Aleph, Yom Kippur Yud. 
all the holidays, even Pesach Shem, it's all the first half of the month or the middle of the month when the moon is complete. There's one holiday at the end of the month. And that's Chafhei, Chanukah. When the moon, you, the moon gets smaller and smaller and it disappears, you don't see it. And then Chanukah continues in the next month. So he says, what's the Pshat? The Chiddush of Chanukah is Rosh Chodesh. The moon gets renewed. It's a fact. You see the new moon. The Chiddush is that Jews are the ones who define the Zmanim. They're the ones who define when Rosh Chodesh is. The Chiddush of Chanukah is the moon is declining and you don't see it. And even then there's a Chiddush. Even then you find the Chanukah. There's a newness. There's a sense of meaning. There's a sense of purpose. Chodesh and Chanukah are really one theme. One is the beginning of renewal, and one is the completion of renewal. In other words, you can create Yom Tif even during the time when the moon becomes invisible, when the moon is dark, because you know that the moon is not just dark, it's on the way of reuniting with the sun, with the source of light. In a person's life, when there's a moment of darkness, it's really because you're getting closer to a deeper source of light, and therefore your old light is being eclipsed. You're being opened up to a new source of light. This is all because you're a chelik belike Yisrael. You're not just a victim of events. You're a partner in events. You are an initiator. You are an ambassador of God in this world. You represent Elikus in the world. And therefore in every moment, there's an opportunity for light. Because that's who you are. You're, you're a chelik of Elikus. You're not stam, a, a nivra created person. So therefore... You are the author of your own biography, and every moment is another opportunity to make a rishchaydish, to create a renewal, to create a new light. Okay, I'll do one more, and then we'll take questions. Tafresh Lamed Zion. Tafresh Lamed Zion would be 1837. Everybody asks the question, what was the miracle on the first day of Hanukkah? Why do we celebrate eight days? The Gemara says in Shabbos that they found a jug of oil, and the jug of oil only had oil to burn for one day. It lasted for eight days, but one day it had oil for. So one day was no miracle. The miracle was seven days. In other words, the fact that the menorah burned for eight days was rare only in the last seven days, but the first day wasn't a miracle. So what's the miracle of the first day? They should have made a yamta for seven days, because the first day the menorah was burning naturally with natural oil. So you don't have to make a yamta for that. The yamta was for the next seven days when the oil burnt miraculously. That's the famous question of the Beisers. Avonira seems to be the following answer. As a result of the fact that on the first night they fulfilled the mitzvah of lighting a menorah with a complete heart, that's why they merited the miracle that the oil lasted. Look at the order of the events described in Alanisim. What does Alanisim talk about? The victory. Right? You made a big name in the world, in your world, which by the way, by Lamecha demonstrates what we said before, that the purpose of Hanukkah is to penetrate the world, to make And then your children came, they came to the Beis they cleaned out the Hechel, they cleansed the Beis HaMikdash, and they lit candles in the courtyards of your holy place, it doesn't mention here the miracle of the jug of oil in Alanisim. It mentions they come back to the Beis Hamikdash, they clean up the place, and they light the candles. So the Sfasemis says, One second, there's something strange here. Why don't you mention the story of the oil? It's not mentioned. What's mentioned is that they came to the Beis Hamikdash, they cleaned it up, and they lit them in night of the first time with natural oil. That was what happened. That was the miracle of the first day. The miracle of the first day was not miracle oil, miraculous oil. They went and they lit the menorah when they cleansed the Besamikdash. But Peter, What's the greatness? The greatness here is that their main joy of winning the war was the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of Hashem. For them, this was the greatest of triumphs. It wasn't that the military victory on its own was the purpose. Sometimes you win the war, that's the purpose. I defeated my enemy, I destroyed my enemy, I killed my enemy, I am alive, I am independent, I am free. What else is there? No, the miracle was something deeper. 
They won the war, but what, what did they do with the victory? The question is not if you win the war, you lose the war. It's the question, but what happens afterwards? What do you do with victory? What do you do with defeat? What they did with victory, that was the unique quality here. What did they do? What happens? They saw the victory as an opportunity to be able to serve God, to be able to do the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. This is what allowed for the miracle over the next seven days. So you say, why do we celebrate the first day? There was no miracle. In many ways, the first day was a greater miracle. This last day was God's miracle. And the first day was the human miracle. Because the last days was the miracle of Hashem causing the oil to be replenished or to endure for so many days, even though naturally the oil had to be depleted. What was the miracle of the first day? The miracle of the first day was the human miracle, that they did the mitzvah belayv shalom. The way they lit the menorah the first day, this is what allowed the miracle for the following days, because they could have just come and lit the menorah. So they lit the menorah with their whole heart, and they lit the menorah after a military victory, because for them, what was their main simchen winning? Their main simchen winning is that they could fulfill Hashem's mitzvah. That was their main simchen. There was no agenda. I won. I won. You lost. Good. We're good now. It was much deeper than that. There was a sense of oneness. There was a sense of harmony. There was a sense of humility. We won the war, and therefore, what do we do with victory? They used the victory to kindle the flame in the human spirit, to kindle the flame in the human soul, to kindle the flame of truth, of wisdom, of authenticity, of divinity, of hope, of healing, of spirituality. That's what they used the victory. A lot of people win. A lot of armies and empires and tribes have won wars. What did they do with the victory? did what the victory was, they celebrated on the, st- the spoils and the booty of their enemies, and they moved on until they were defeated by somebody else. And that's what happened after Hanukkah too. They were also defeated. Later, the Romans came and took away from the Hashemunayim everything, and ultimately the Beis HaMikdush was destroyed more than 200 years later. But the Tzvah says, but it didn't stop at the victory. They used the victory to serve God, to rekindle the flame of our eternal relationship with the divine. That was not extinguished, not in the next seven days, and not for eternity. That's the miracle of the first day of Hanukkah. Okay, I prepared more pieces here, but we're going to stop here. I will take a few questions. Let me look at the chat. Can you comment about the meaning of time in Judaism? the progression of time in Judaism. What are we creating in the infinity which already exists? How can you say we contribute something to history, we contribute something to time, if everything is part of infinity, so everything is there, it already exists? I assume these assumptions are true. What can we create? What is the meaning of progress? How can we even believe in progress? What is this progress when everything is really infinity, so there's no progress, everything is there. You're asking a very deep question. Um, I don't know that we're going to get into it now in great detail, but the only thing I would add is, let's put it this way. The, the progress in history is to be able to revolutionize the sense of alienation and fragmentation and brokenness and realign it with oneness, which did not exist pre-creation. Pre-creation... There was oneness. There was nothing outside of infinity. But now we live in a world where there is dissonance, at least in our feelings and our experiences. There's a lot of dissonance, a lot of things that are broken. We don't experience the wholeness in ourselves. So that's what we contribute. And that adds to infinity because infinity on its own that excludes reality lives in a world of infinity. The greatness of our work here in the world is that we align the finite and the infinite that the broken becomes whole, and that's real infinity. Real infinity is the infinity that infuses all the parts, so that all the parts become part of the whole. Pre-creation, you don't have any parts. You just have one wholesome infinity. That's the uniqueness that happens in creation. I think that's one uh, way of addressing your question, at least somewhat. Let me now go to the to the questions on the yeshiva.net. You speak about the menorah on the outside. The common custom of placing the menorah in front of the transparent window is what so many Jews today do, which means we do both, because the menorah is technically inside, but it's visible to the street. 
the mitzvah of sukkahs in the fall, when the temperature turns colder in the northern hemisphere, so that the non-Jews would see this and not say we're just dining outside because of warm weather. So there is an aspect of publicizing the mitzvah of sukkah. Also, we do walk in the street with our love him to show victory. Yeah, points well taken. Who was the first one to take inside light to the outside? Really, Hashem. He took his infinite inner light and began to create the world, first with the great light that was created even before the sun, that was hidden away for the future, then he created the sun. Both were extractions of the inner hidden light to the outside because God's light was completely inner. It was part of the divine infinity. But God concretized and externalized this light to be able to be perceived ultimately by the world and by those outside of him. So essentially Hanukkah is just a continuity of what God did when he said, let there be light, and there was light. Because before that, the light was just part of him. And then when God said, let there be light, what happens? He takes the infinite light and he brings it out to some degree to the outside in a more limited fashion. Yes, this is very true. The Shalah, the Shalah, Rabbi Nishan Horowitz points this out amazingly. He says, the creation of the world was Chafhei Elul, and Hanukkah is Chafhei Kislev, three months later. And he explains that God's, the first creation was let there be light, and Hanukkah, the Yavanim, wanted to destroy the Torah, which means the purpose of creation is gone. So Hanukkah, when they dedicated the Beis it's like it was a new creation, because the purpose of creation could be reestablished, the meaning of creation. So what's the first thing you do when you recreate the world? You create light. So that's why the first thing of Hanukkah is Yehi Er, because it's really a reflection of the light of creation. And when we light the Menorah, we're really lighting up the world, like Hashem lit up the world when He said, Yehi Er, Vayi Er. And He says, Vayihi, Vayomer Elekim, Yehi, what's Yehi? Yehi is Begamatria Chafhei. Yehi is Yud, Hey Yud is 25. And many other connections that He makes between the creation of light in the beginning of creation and Hanukkah. It's a famous Shalah in these Parshas. You shared a few days ago a story about Rabbi Lau and his bar mitzvah, the reading of the Torah. Where can I find it? So if you go to the yeshiva.net, go to the Yutas Kislev Fabrengen. If you go to uh, the, um, if you go to the archive on top, you'll see Torah. There should be uh, holidays or special dates. Special dates. Go to Yutas Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, and you'll see the Fabrengen that we had. Yutas Kislev, 19th of Kislev, 5781. It was just last week. Last week, Mitzay Shabbos. And over there I told a story closer to the beginning of the Fabrengen. How is it that some people really desire to oppress other human beings? What's the instinct within us that wants to oppress other people? I don't know that there's one brief answer for this. There's so many factors involved, but... I mean, it's part of our Yetzir Hara. It's part of the human condition we sometimes revert to those instincts of wanting to oppress other people. And I think there could be m- many different motivations for it, right? Sometimes it comes from our deep, deep need to be in control of everybody and everything. Sometimes it comes from our deep, deep rooted fears and insecurities. Sometimes this is a way to compensate for our inner void. The more control I have, the more I can oppress, the more I feel better about myself. And sometimes there is really an instinct for power. And if I can have absolute power, absolute ownership, and I could completely suppress you under my domain, there is a, there's a glee, there, there, there is a deep glee in that for many. Uh, we can deny it here in the West, but it, it is a glee. There's something that people, uh, especially males, but also females sometimes, really experience this pleasure, the, the height of power, like it does something to them. It's really rooted in the fact that there is a quality of malchus in a person. Royalty, regality, aristocracy, kingship, leadership. The question is how it's harnessed. Either I'm a conduit of God and then my malchus is full of benevolence and kindness, or I detach from that and my need for malchus then becomes one in which my ego rules over everything. But it's this is a real part of the human condition that we have to be aware of. If you, we are partners in establishing the new month, why did the sages take that partnership away from us by fixing the calendar? We're still partners for Shabbos and Bris. Sure, the Sanhedrin no longer existed, but was that only for the Jews, the witnesses? Why couldn't we still testify that we see the new moon and establish the new moon, fixing the date of Yom Tif and being partners with God? It's a great question. 
The technical answer for that is that they just simply didn't have the ability to do it because they didn't. You needed a Sanhedrin. You need the Bezdin that has smicha all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Those conditions did not exist anymore. And they simply would not be able to do it. The spiritual reason is a whole separate subject, and that is that Jewish history is divided into two parts. There's the time when we could see the renewal of the new moon and we create Rish Chaydish, and then there's the time when the calendar says that it's Rish Chaydish, and the, the partnership goes through a traumatic, a, a very powerful transformation. It does say when Mashiach comes, we're going to go back to that system. I wrote an essay about the differences between these two calendars, between these two systems in Jewish history, based on a talk that was given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1959, the end of the year, Tavshin Yutes, I think the last Shabbos of the year, about this concept, what it represents. It's a very profound idea in Jewish history. It's a good question. If you want, I can email it to you. But uh, this is a uh, question is noted. Obviously, the partnership still exists. It just exists in different ways. I wish everybody a wonderful day, a beautiful and happy Afrelichen Chanekep Suris Toivis. Thursday morning, there will not be a class, and Tuesday morning, there will not be a class. So our regular women's class Tuesday and Thursday morning class will not be this week. We will resume Be'ezer Hashem next week. I wish you all a beautiful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.